Hello and welcome to From the Platform. This is episode 17. I'm Tom. I'm Naomi. And this episode is called The Four Player Model. <laughs> which, it's now a gaming podcast. <laughs> it's based on the work of a man called David Cantor, who did something called Structural Dynamics. And this is part of Structural Dynamics, part of it, which is called the four-player model. I found it a really useful tool and one that you can kind of silently have in the back of your mind whilst listening to a conversation and use to actually inform yourself as to how to engage with the conversation in the most effective way. So how is it relevant to the aims of our podcast? So the aim of our podcast is to kind of raise more awareness within yourself whilst having conversations so that you can kind of step out of them a little bit and maybe observe what's going on so as not to get caught up so much in the in the heat of it and yeah raise your level of awareness in conversations what would you say our aims are well we've got them written down tom I'll tell you. How very efficient of us. So I've got mission statement for from the platform is to encourage better discussion through self-awareness. Oh, sounds lovely. Where can I listen? (laughs) (laughs) So this model, the David Cantor four-player model, it's kind of similar to some of the things we've looked at already because we've basically been following a bunch of different tools and lenses to look through at conversation with Mm. so we just looked at different types of communication models haven't we so david cantor's four player model should we hear it from cantor himself there's just a really clear quote on the website so i think a nice simple way of describing it is that this is a model and the idea of the model is that in all interactions between people there's just four possible speech acts And lots of communication problems occur when individuals become stuck and overuse one of the four actions again and again. So according to Cantor, there's only four different things that you can do in a conversation. And what Mm -hmm, are those mm -hmm. four different things? So it's move, which is like when you initiate a action. Hey, let's do a podcast this evening. Mm -hmm. So you're like bringing the group in a certain direction. Yeah. Uh, And that's move. That's called move. And then you've got a pose, which is like, no, don't want to do it. I've got this to do. I want to do this instead. Mm-hmm. I've got a vaccine hangover. Naomi is fully vaccinated. <laughs> Thank you, NHS. So that's a pose, and that's to say no to the move. Yeah. Someone's made a yeah. move, suggested something, and you say, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And that's kind of north and south on the compass. Mm. And there's a line between those two things, which is called the line of advocacy, because they advocate a particular direction Mm -hmm. and then you've got follow which is somebody who will say yeah that's a great idea i'm happy to do that such as agreeing yeah then you've got the fourth one is called bystand it's this bystanding and this is the voice that suspends the conversation and maybe says we can do it in two ways you can add more information in so it's not going to pick a side but it might say I don't know, be aware, it's 9pm and doing a podcast lasts two hours, mm-hmm. right? And that, Or something like, oh, mm-hmm. this is going to be episode 17. Yeah, just adding more information. Mm-hmm. So you're not agreeing or opposing, but you yeah, just... Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the other way that you can be a bystander is by commenting on the group dynamic. 
So you might you might point out, okay, Jim, you've made a move there, and I noticed that, Daphne, you're opposing. We've not heard from Janet. Or Scooby. <laughs> okay, so the different ones are move, where you suggest a direction, something for the group to do. And the opposite to that is to oppose, to say, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Then the east and west are to, yeah, yeah where you follow. And can you follow either the move or oppose? Yeah. Yeah, so you can go, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the other point of the compass, there is the bystander. Yeah. He can either just make a comment that's kind of neutral or could make a more like meta comment on what's going on in the conversation. Yeah, and so the north-south is like a line of advocacy and the east-west is a line of inquiry. The bystander is opening the space out for more inquiry to happen because normally between advocates, people advocating for different views, you just end up with an argument or a debate Mm -hmm. and the the bystander will maybe draw in people that haven't said anything, maybe say, well, who, who thinks that that's a good idea? Like maybe nobody's following anything. Maybe they're just people arguing. It's like, well, does anybody follow one or other of these opinions and you can get someone to kind of become a follower and Mm. and voice that so to have a successful conversation you need all four of those elements that's what Cantor is saying yeah so what this model can do is it can reveal patterns so this might seem really arbitrary like cataloging these different things as move oppose follow bystand and then writing them down and being like okay that's a move that's an oppose but the idea is like you, you if you do that, you kind of see these patterns and it's useful to see these patterns so that you can then invite into the conversation what you've realised is missing or you can be the missing voice. Um, so what might happen is you might get people doing what's called serial moving, like just people offering up different solutions to a problem without any real opposition, no one's following. So if it's the voluntary thing, you know, at the start of the meeting, mm-hmm. you had some examples. So I guess you might have a group of people and one person says, oh, what about having five minutes of the organ at the start? And someone else is like, yeah, well, what about having three minutes of organ, then two minutes of silence? Someone else is like, oh, we could do worship music on the projector. So no one's kind of saying, no, that's a bad idea, but it's just people giving lots of options. Yeah, yeah. Oh, which doesn't really go anywhere. Um, so then you've got point-counterpoint which again, it doesn't really go anywhere, but you've got people like opposing. So someone makes a move, I think we should have five minutes of organ and someone opposes, go, no, no, that's a terrible idea. We should have um, just silence. Oh no, that's a terrible idea. We should have this. So actually nothing constructive happens because maybe it's that dynamic where people have got, people are being a bit proud about it and they're just determined not to lose. Yeah. And then you've got... um courteous compliance which is someone says hey we should have five minutes silence at the start and everyone's like yes benevolent leader yes <laughs> oh that's a nice idea oh yeah they do that at so and so place that's yeah, really yeah. nice isn't it oh no you just that was a bystand that you just did then they do that at so and so place that's just adding information oh sorry i've made a mistake you, you didn't you didn't uh follow <laughs> it's but it's like that affirmative yep yeah, that's a great idea yes boss mm. so what's what's wrong with that potentially nothing wrong with that if it's a good idea but if it's just a lot of yes people and it's actually a terrible idea, mm-hmm. you've not gotten to explore maybe a better options. Yeah. Or... So potentially 
it's people just being polite for the sake of it when yeah. actually someone does have another suggestion but they're a yeah, bit too shy yeah, yeah. to sit. So in that up. situation, you'd want to invite maybe someone to oppose? So the next example of a potentially dysfunctional conversation is Hall of Mirrors. And what's that, Tom? Yeah, that someone makes a move and then everyone bystands by adding more information in. Mm-hmm. So again, there's no real like compliance there. It's just like, let's have five minutes silence at the start of the meeting. And someone says like, silence is known to generate happy metabolism. <laughs> or um, Yes, they do that at Tamworth. Yeah, or uh, five is a number. Minutes are lengths of time. <laughs> well, I can think of an example where when you've got a particularly chatty group of people at university mm. and you're trying to get an assignment done, but actually it's sort of like, uh, let's look at this example. Oh, yeah, I did that on placement. Did you do that on placement? Yeah, I did. Where did you go on placement again? Oh, I went on placement, so-so place. I went on placement, so-so place. Yeah, yeah. And you're kind of on Quickly. topic, but you're yeah, not yeah. actually getting anywhere because yeah, you're all just yeah, commenting yeah. about it. Yeah, Hall of Mirrors, that's that's literally what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Chatters. And then there's ways in which you can have covert opposition, which is like in your tone. So you could be like, sure, it's a great idea. So it's a follow, but it's it's not a follow. It's clearly like sarcastic. Being so a bit passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive, opposing. Or there's there's kind of a p- passive bystanding, which is actually an opposition. Mm. The, the one I heard in the thing was like, hey, let's go to McDonald's. Oh, did you know that McDonald's have had 52 health violations in the last year? So you're not saying, no, I don't want to, but you're kind of hinting that you don't. So that could be dysfunctional because, again, you're not kind of getting to the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There's no transparency with it. Mm -hmm. So, So the overall thing here, the point of this model is that if you become aware of these different types of speech acts, then if you're having an important discussion about something, you can kind of notice, like, oh, actually, we're not really getting anywhere because everyone's just... Uh, yeah making bystand comments about it or Mm -hmm. that person is making it sound like they're not opposing what's going on but actually they're being a bit passive aggressive by pretending to do a follow or pretending to do a bystand comment and i found myself falling into this myself like during bible class discussion it's often like you don't directly oppose people because i guess in some ways you don't maybe don't completely disagree with what they're saying but you do want to kind of add that extra bit of information that just balances the weight of the conversation towards a more open way of thinking. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of, it can be a good thing, can't it, to tactfully balance out a conversation? I'd say we might go into, maybe in the next episode, why that might not be. It, it's, it's, it's often where we end up. We often end up there. But there's this level of conversation, this level of dialogue you can get to where you get past that and you create a container to say what you actually want to say and get to a point a bit better we often don't have the container to actually like maybe oppose in what do you mean by container where maybe if i were to actually oppose that person directly i'd be concerned that they'd then fly off the handle talk for 20 minutes straight or get really angry or storm out so you mean contained. like the the ethos and the friendship and relationships and trust? Yeah, yeah. In that situation, the they they're not contained in the container of trust that you have within that group. So there are places and people that you can probably talk to and go, "I don't believe that," and I and I'm going to oppose it quite directly because I know that we get on well enough for me mm-hmm. to be really direct with you. Like we have a container. 
for being able to do that. Mm -hmm. But I don't have that container with some other people. When, when we look at these patterns, it's to go, okay, what's not present here? Which of the four voices is not being voiced? And so we can invite a move, we can invite an opposition, we can invite a follow, we can invite a bystand. So would you say if you're maybe in a conversation that you think there's something dysfunctional, there's not something not quite working here, mm. do you, so are you suggesting that in that situation you could think, oh, have we got those four voices in this conversation? And if not... What can I do to kind of invite it or include it? Yeah, yeah. And you can do that in nice ways. So Can you tell me, the bystander seems a bit annoying to me. What's the function of the bystander? So there's a conversation when there's no bystander. When would you want to bring in a bystander? Someone just making comments. So... Is that like softening an interaction or... Without a bystander, you have, you have move and oppose and follow. And that might mean... Someone makes a move, I want to do it this way. Someone opposes and goes, I don't really agree with that, I want it done this way. But everyone else follows the move. And so in kind of a democratic way, the group moves with the, the person who everyone is following. But that then maybe means that you're, you're missing something. So the bystander opens up the ability for that which is missing or unheard to kind of I guess is it the voice of reflection? Yeah, yeah, that voice of suspension to mm -hmm. to um to say okay if we if we do it this way and we do ignore the opposition, what are we missing out on? So ways that you can invite different things. Uh, so you can invite and oppose by saying, "Here's my move. What are the holes in this? What obstacles would be presented by this? What do you think are the barriers? What are the risks?" Yeah, mm -hmm. you're inviting people to pick holes in what you're saying yeah, yeah. and oppose it in some sense. You could also invite other moves. What would be our best alternative? What other ideas can you suggest? What should be our next steps? How would you resolve this issue? Things like that. If you want to invite a follow, you might say, do you agree with what I've suggested? Do you agree it's a good plan? Are you on board with this? So maybe when there's people who aren't, maybe you're a bit shy to speak up and say mm, they agree mm. with something. Yeah. I often find that there's key people that don't say anything in, a, in quite important discussions, mainly out of anxiety, and they'll add their moves or opinions privately afterwards mm. with a smaller group of people, um, which is where something called Liberating Structures comes in really useful. There's a website called liberatingstructures.com, which puts forward these like really neat little ways of engaging people. And one of them is called One, Two, Four, All, which is a really simple structure where it says, here's the idea, here's the thing we need to discuss. Five minutes on your own, just to distill your thoughts, get them in order. That's one. And then pair up and share your ideas with somebody else. And then those pairs move into fours, and it's like, okay, share your ideas now in those fours. And then those fours come into the whole group and they all share their ideas together. And that means that you've got those smaller containers for people to be able to share their ideas one-on-one. -on -one. And by container, you mean group. Yeah. yeah. And you've got the ability for the ideas 
in those kind of twos and fours to kind of distill down. Maybe some of them have got the same concerns. So they kind of double up. It's like, okay, we've both got this concern. We'll raise that to the next group of four. And if it's still a concern within that group of four and no one can answer that question or it resonates with them as well, then it kind of distills up another level and it can be brought to the group in a kind of a more effective and efficient Mm way. So it's an opportunity for more voices to be heard and eliminates the anxiety of speaking in a big group in front of everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one way of dealing with with, um, not having very many people follow or oppose within a group if even you know you can invite the voice and say does anyone want to oppose this does anyone want to follow with this thing but even then you might not find people um speak up and so you could actually take this four-player model and put it into these smaller this liberating structures thing of twos and fours and stuff and you could use it within those smaller groups where they might feel more comfortable to to say what they want to follow or to say what they oppose or so it's not you're in the liberating structure, then it's not focused on a particular speech act. It's just getting more voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, but it's really simple. I think it should be used a lot because you yeah. often find it's just dominating voices in a in a big group, and it's the same voices. So yeah, to invite somebody to bystand, this is where it kind of gets really quite nice, or, or like it kind of opens up to the, to the realm where we don't normally get to. It's does anyone have past experience with this? So can you provide more information? Has anyone done something similar? Asking, has anyone researched this topic? Those sorts of things. What do you notice about what's happening in the room right now? Is an interesting one as well. It raises the awareness of the group to kind of go, what's actually happening in the room right now? Are we just going back and forth? And it might be that that needs to be said out loud. But it appears as though we're just going back and forth. Mm-hmm. And therefore, maybe we need more information. Or therefore, we maybe need to take some time out and distill our thoughts. Maybe we need to stop advocating and start reflecting. So there's an example in William Isaac's dialogue book of a debate that kind of goes wrong in this TV show and how the anchor could have invited more suspension and like bystanding. And so the anchor could have said something like, acting this way in this kind of advocation back and forth, is unlikely to move us to the point of reflecting on why we have these views. So let me ask, why do each of us feel pressured to defend ourselves? I thought that's a really opening question. It's like if there's an argument going on about the length of the voluntary, being able to get people to step back and go, okay, hold on guys, why do we each feel pressured to defend one way or the other? So there you're talking more about nonviolent communication, looking at the needs that people have underneath what's going on. Mm, yeah. So yeah. Tom, does that example relate to a speech act? Uh, yeah, that would be bystanding. It's it's reading that room and saying... Oh, right, getting, so getting, him saying that is a bystanding yeah, speech yeah, act. Yeah, right, it's, okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's getting more information and it's also that group dynamics thing. It's like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, why do we need to defend this? What's the reason behind you having such advocacy for this one point of view? Another one was, oh uh, yeah, what stops us from slowing down and inquiring? What's stopping us right now from just reflecting here? Alternatively, he might have tried this. What might we learn that is new from each other? Can we begin to ask, what are we missing that we do not want to hear? Finally, he might have simply invited a greater measure of disclosure. Let me invite you to tell us not your positions, but your first person experience right now 
as you have this conversation this evening. What are your dilemmas? What do you fear? What do you fear you might give away or lose if you fail to defend well? I think that's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. What do you fear you might give away or lose if you fail to defend well? Let's leave some space and respect for the possibility that there's no right answer. I would caution against anyone fixing anyone else's view for the moment. Yeah, like getting people to step back and say, what are you scared of losing? Because that's going to be really insightful. That will open up to people's needs in that situation and it will stop that kind of back and forth. And hopefully you've got a container of trust within that group enough to say, you know, well, this this is something that really makes me attuned to God and being ready for something that's that's super important that I only get to do once a week and it's like the rest of my week I'm looking forward to that you know it gets that emotive part across and it, and yeah you're right it, it kind of then taps into nonviolent communication mm-hmm. feelings and needs it reminds me of there's a really good radio four program called Across the Red Line. And they work with, there's a lady called Gabrielle Rifkind and Louisa Weinstein. And um, they're both mediation experts. And they ask really good questions like that. Mm -hmm. And they say things like, in 10 years time, what do you think you will look back on this and think? Mm -hmm. And it really makes people who are in the intensity of the moment and really want to debate something out. People say things like, oh, I think, oh, actually, probably I think I'll think, why are you so emotional about this? Or (laughs) you need to calm down about this or... Hopefully I'll have more developed ideas or something. And yeah, yeah, all those different ways. So that's those are all bystand comments then. Yeah. So you're saying potentially the most useful role you can take in a conversation or a group conversation that's not going very well is to be a bystander and maybe make those comments and those questions that invite reflection mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. to what's going on. Yeah, and like you are saying just then about nonviolent communication being a, a factor in that it's interesting that a lot of these things that we've been looking at these tools these kind of language frameworks they all overlap in some senses and i think within the move and oppose you can see transactional analysis you know there's going to be like a parent child dynamic within move and oppose and you need to probably step mm-hmm. out of that and actually i'd like to take the last part of this podcast and look at where some of the things we've talked about overlap because David Cantor also talks about how this move, follow, oppose, bystand, four-player model sits within open systems and closed systems. And if listeners have been following along, they'll be familiar with this concept because it maps quite neatly onto, for example, Emma Gilchrist's right and left hemisphere takes on the world. I read this recently uh, in an article that Emma Gilchrist wrote. It's about two takes on the world, one of which, to put it simply and briefly, is concerned with closing down to a certainty, and the other concerned with opening up to a possibility. One, therefore, the left, or what David Cantor's closed system maps onto, aims to reach one correct answer, either or. The other, the right, or what David Cantor's open system maps onto, is more able to live with ambivalence and with the possibility of two apparently incompatible possibilities being true, both slash and. And I think there's also a way you can map on the plasticity and stability 
foundations of personality traits or Jonathan Hyatt's liberal and conservative viewpoints. I think for me personally, if I'm making any moves or I'm following anything, it's probably towards an open system, something that's got more care, liberty, fairness, something with more plasticity, something that's more of an embodied experience because I lean generally towards that that's your moral matrix yeah lead me in that direction and i've got to be aware of that that when i'm making moves or what i'm following is often in that direction and am i not allowing other voices to be heard when i'm speaking that might be Mm -hmm. different to mine and it's the same when i hear moves towards authority loyalty and sanctity i'm more likely to want to oppose those Mm -hmm. and i should probably actually just bystand and or, or kind of suspend things and kind of be aware of what's going on Mm. that's why i think these tools are really useful help you to step away from your gut instinct yeah get that bit of space that breathing space that allows you to uh, find clarity yeah so we've got the moral matrix that's about communication isn't it because it's thinking about which moral foundation you're thinking about when you're talking about so that's jonathan hyatt he Mm -hmm. puts out six moral foundations and he suggests that if you're what David Cantor would call more of an open systems person, then you're going to lean towards care, fairness and liberty. And if you're more of a closed systems person, you're going to lean, or you're going to balance those things with authority, loyalty and sanctity. Mm. So we've also got the listening technique. Yeah. That the lovely Nikki and Scylla. Nikki and Scylla. Lovely Nikki and Scylla daughters. Yeah. That's really nice. And that's one that kind of I find myself coming back to again and again, that thing of sitting back and really listening. In it's order just to really back. simple, isn't it? And it gets to it gets to that point of suspension really quickly because mm-hmm. it's that idea of you're suspending your need to advocate your own point of view. Mm. And your whole purpose in that thing is just to repeat back what the other person mm. says and it feels really weird to start with doesn't it it feels really like mm. pointless it's like why am i just saying what you've said again yeah but or i've heard you, this a million times yeah, yeah yeah but when you actually do it it's really releasing and i find it yeah. really useful yeah i find it consistently surprises me so for example mm. like we use it all the time and the other day we were talking about something that we are so opposite in our attitudes towards that we can't even sort of begin to relate to each other like what our you know what our attitudes are towards this one thing and I remember just thinking like oh I've got an answer I've got an answer and I thought no I'm just gonna I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna listen and listen and listen and then you sort of then talked into another angle that really gave me a fresh idea like perspective on your idea about it and then it also mm. led to a bit of a sort of resolution for what we could do but because we're so opposite in the way we think about it that wouldn't have occurred to you to be a thing that I would be interested in and think yes that's a solution to our problem so yeah that the listening technique su- constantly surprises me kind of how mm. if you can have the discipline to do it and not answer back it's yeah really good yeah it is a discipline yeah. thing isn't it uh, we've also got transactional analysis, which is a kind of uh, kind of a therapeutic technique, isn't it? Yeah, and that's about listening to how you're talking through the lens of parent or child, because we often find ourselves voicing a parental tone or a childish tone to get what we want or to respond to people. Yeah, a response. Yeah, and that, that advocates the idea of... Um, 
trying to again suspend that need to parent or that need to voice that inner child that really wants something it's like oh can you help me with this (laughs) but kind of actually go for what that model calls the adult which again i think suspends kind of immediate emotional reactions yeah yeah Mm. um i also want to just touch on that episode 10 was on personality and that kind of is the one where it's got the five personality traits that split into that plasticity and again Cantor would call the open system that kind of ability to be open and malleable and flexible to new ideas yeah Mm -hmm. versus kind of more neurotic and stable stability which is that more again that closed system that Cantor talks about which we'll come to Mm -hmm. Uh, we've also got um the levels of listening yeah that's a big one because the book that i'm getting these ideas from isn't david Cantor's book it's actually a book by william isaacs called dialogue and he is a part of that mit crowd what's that massachusetts michigan institute of technology yeah michigan montessori (laughs) place in america beginning with m (laughs) Institute of Technology. Um, so William Isaacs is from there and his... Massachusetts. Like, Massachusetts. BG song. And he melds together some of Otto Sharma's stuff, which is the uh, levels of listening with David Cantor's stuff. So the levels of listening are that really closed, just listening to yourself, listening to what you want to hear. And then there's the second level of listening, which is that informative... I in it, we're finding facts about things. And then there's level three, which is empathetic, I in you, which goes and tries to find out from your point of view how you're feeling. That's where you start suspending. Start suspending your own emotions about things and you start trying to put yourself in another person's shoes. And then they go into level four, which is generative listening. And that was our episode 15. We devoted a whole episode to that generative listening. I think maybe it all got tied into that last episode. With um, Ian McGilchrist's master and emissary thing. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that master right hemisphere brain stuff, uh, that embodied experience, that's the open system. And I think the left hemisphere kind of categories and mechanisms is all mm. kind of a closed system. Um, Tom, you're talking about open system a lot. What do you mean by open system? So in a lot of the things we've been looking at, there's kind of two ways of attending to the world. There's the plastic way the care, liberty, fairness way, the right hemisphere embodied experience kind of way. I think they're all part of this open system, which is this flexible, blurred boundaries. Potentially more empathetic. Yeah, more open way of Mm. doing things. It's the chaos to the order, almost. Whereas the closed system is that stability, that authority, loyalty, sanctity, the categories of the left hemisphere and that order right and the words open and closed system that's the language of david Cantor. he calls it and it's i i prefer that maybe to conservative and liberal it's got less baggage attached to it and one of the things that i'd like to look at in the next podcast is how it's not about fixing yourself and positioning yourself in any one camp of either open and closed it's probably a lot to do with acknowledging where you lean to and where you tend to kind of move towards but 
I think I'm coming to the realization that there has to be some movement between open and closed. You have to go backwards and forwards between them. And between now and the next podcast, I'm going to kind of do a bit of thinking about what that might look like within a church environment, how a church can have that dynamism built into it. Maybe it would be seasonal, something where you allot some time within your calendar to deconstruct and then reconstruct, to go to an open system to explore new ideas, but then kind of bring it back into something that that contains it all. And thinking about, yeah, what would that look like if a church deliberately and consciously decided to move between an open and closed system because both are really important one for stability but one for expanding and and making sure that you're going in the right direction one is a like i think the open system is to take an aerial view of things to take a look from a bird's eye view get some perspective and then kind of come back down again into the closed system to move forward or to contain that information and reintegrate that information that you found from that aerial view because I think there's something really important about the movement between open and closed in that it creates a focus and release and it's often the energy that's produced from focusing and then releasing allows for something outside of ourselves to enter and to speak and to make itself known which sounds a bit mystical but I'll try and elaborate on that Um, in the next podcast thank you for listening and make sure you check out the other wcf podcasts and we'll catch you next time